Welcome back to a Clubfoot Mom podcast. I'm your host and fellow Clubfoot Mom, Maureen Hoff. On today's episode, I have the pleasure of speaking with Dr. Derek Kelly, pediatric orthopedic and spinal deformity surgeon at the Campbell Clinic Orthopedics, professor at University of Tennessee Department of Orthopedics, orthopedic residency program director at Campbell Clinic Orthopedics, and pediatric orthopedic fellowship director at Laban Her Children's Hospital. I first saw Dr. Kelly at the IPOS conference in December of 2021. He was the lead teacher in the Ponsetti on the Go trainings throughout the conference, and I was able to witness firsthand his passion and commitment to clubfoot treatment. Today, I'm going to talk with Dr. Kelly about the technical aspects of clubfoot treatment, and I'm excited to learn more in depth about clubfoot and why the treatment is so effective. Well, welcome to the podcast, Dr. Kelly. Thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks for the invite. Looking forward to it. I'm excited to have you here. So before we kind of dive in, why don't you, we start by you telling us about how you began treating clubfoot and how long you've been doing it. So I guess my first exposure uh, was back in uh, medical school. I mean, I was interested in orthopedics, even when I started medical school. Mm-hmm. And I was really interested in pediatric orthopedics. And that goes back to um, when I was a kid, I had a few broken bones and um, mm-hmm. I started sort of telling my parents I was going to be a doctor. And they said, yeah, yeah, sure. You were going to be a firefighter last week. But um, <laughs> I sort of stuck, stuck with it. And uh, all the way through my education, I, I still sort of thought that treating kids with bone problems mm-hmm. is what I wanted to do. So even when I got to medical school, um, I was interested in it. I didn't really know anything about clubfoot. I, I, I assumed that I'd probably heard of it, but I didn't know much about it. And then in medical school, I started rotating uh, on the orthopedic services and, and starting seeing some of these things. And so the, you know, the first exposure I had was, I guess, probably in the early 2000s in medical school. And then, of course, when I went into residency, I, I knew I was going to go into pediatrics. And I really gravitated more towards the children's rotations when I could and started seeing the casting and, and being able to start learning some of it in residency. And then I really became much more interested in my fellowship, which was around 2007, 2008. And then when I joined my practice now, I'm in Memphis, Tennessee at the Campbell Clinic. Um, I, uh, I immediately took over the Clubfoot Clinic and I've been doing that uh, ever since. So I guess we're going on 14 years now. And how often do you guys have clinic? Yeah, so our Clubfoot Clinic is every Wednesday. In fact, mm-hmm. uh, we're recording this on a Wednesday. So I had mm-hmm. Clubfoot Clinic all day today and now you and I are visiting about Clubfoot tonight. So it's been a Clubfoot day. I, we typically do most of our casting in the morning uh, mm-hmm. session. And then um, after the lunch, little lunch break, we do a lot of our follow-ups. But yeah, every Wednesday. Mm-hmm. I, and I and I'm my wife and kids know that vacations and meetings revolve around Wednesdays. I, I try to leave on Thursdays and make it back in town by Tuesday if I have to go for nearly a week because I, I hate missing Clifford Clinic. Yeah, that's nice. That's nice for your parents too, for that consistency. We had ours was Monday's clinics and it ran. Oh, we ran into, I think, Memorial Day. And so like all the holidays are on Mondays. So then having to re-switch and schedule, I mean, it yeah, definitely created a little bit more of a headache trying to figure it all out. Mondays can be a challenge because of some of the holidays. And then if it's close to a weekend, sometimes, you know, meetings or, or vacations kind of, you try to extend the weekends a bit. So uh, it's yeah. unfortunate that we've had our clubfoot clinic in the middle of the week, so I don't have very many weeks uh, in the year where I have to miss a clubfoot clinic. Well, that's that's smart. Yeah. yeah so, how is treating 
clubfoot different or similar to the other pediatric orthopedic conditions that you treat? Yeah, so that's that's kind of a good question. Um, so in orthopedics in general, we have a lot of problems that come to us that we fix sort of quickly. And mm-hmm. in fact, I mean, someone comes in with a broken bone, like say someone has a car wreck and they break their femur, mm-hmm. and then we take them to the operating room and we restore that bone to its length and stability. And then it's sort of fixed. Now, of course, they have to heal, but they were bad and now they're better. Uh, mm-hmm. Or someone comes in with terrible arthritis of their hip and when we do a hip replacement and, you know, they were bad and now they're better. Clubfoot takes a little bit more time to correct. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's over the course of a few weeks to a few months and then there's an extended follow-up period. So in regards to orthopedics in general, clubfoot takes a little bit longer. But in pediatrics, uh, especially pediatric orthopedics, we treat a number of conditions without surgeries. You know, we like to we like to treat fractures and cast rather than you know plates and screws and rods, mm-hmm. and so we're we're fairly used to treating things without a lot of surgery. So in that way, it's somewhat similar, but uh, it takes a little time. You know, it takes a few weeks. You get to know the patient, you get to know the families over the course of weeks to months. So it's a little right. different, that way. yeah. Right. So let's dive into the clinical kind of aspects of it. Can you explain? clubfoot in like technical terms. So the actual clubfoot diagnosis, but so that parents can kind of understand like, what is it exactly? And what aspects of the foot or the lower extremity does it impact? Well, that's, that's a lot to unpack. So you actually (laughs) were were very wise in your words. I mean, we, we all know that you've become very well educated in clubfoot and uh, with all the work that you've done. So yeah, it is not just a foot deformity. It's a lower Mm -hmm. limb deformity. The okay. foot is not the only abnormal structure, and you said that very correctly. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the calf is more slender. Uh, the tissues mm-hmm. are a bit different all the way down the leg. So, so it's called club foot, but it's there. There are parts of the leg, the whole entire leg, that are involved. That's mm-hmm. that's a really good point. So, uh, trying to explain this in technical terms, where it makes sense on a podcast, can be a little <laughs> tricky. If, yeah. If your listeners are able to, you know, if they're not driving or, or running on a treadmill while they're listening to this. Then um, if they can pull up a little image of a club foot so, or, or just a general foot so they can see. But the, the foot is divided up sort of into three sections. Mm-hmm. You, have the, you have the hind foot, mm-hmm. uh, which is the heel bone and the ankle bone. Okay. Um, you have the midfoot, which is all the little bones in between. And mm-hmm. then you have the forefoot, which is the five metatarsals. And then those lead out to the five toes. So okay. each, each of the toes has a, a bone that's within the foot. Mm-hmm. So you have the forefoot, the midfoot, and the hindfoot. And we break it into those three parts. I tell my trainees, my residents and fellows that clubfoot has an acronym CAVE, C-A-V-E. Mm-hmm. Cavus, adductus, varus, and aquinas. Those are the medical terms that we use. Cavus, adductus, varus, aquinas. Okay. Uh, we, they hear us say that over and over again. And how you break those terms down you think about those parts of the foot. So okay. cavus, cavus means a high arch. You can think mm-hmm. of like a cave, something that's indented, something you could sort of walk into. So you think of a very high arch. Mm-hmm. And that means that the forefoot, that those metatarsals, particularly the first one, the mm-hmm. one that goes to the big toe, mm-hmm. is, is, is pushed down toward the floor. It's bent down toward the floor so that you get this really high arch of the foot. Mm-hmm. And people understand the arch when you you know, if you get an athletic shoe and you look inside, you can see that little arch support that's in right. there. Well, yeah. Clubfoot, it, it, it's bigger than it should be. 
Hmm. And that's because that forefoot is sort of flexed downward toward, uh-huh. toward the ground. So then we move to a ductus. So a ductus means that the forefoot, all of those metatarsals and those toes, they're bent toward the inside of the body. They're turned inward. People, okay. have, used, people have used the term, you know, pigeon-toed. Mm-hmm. I, I don't, I've looked at pigeons, they, their feet don't really turn in, but that, that term is sort of stuck. You think about yeah. the toes sort of bent toward the inside, sort of okay. almost as if you would trip over your own toes as you're walking. Mm-hmm. And that's what the adductus means. The adductus means that forefoot part, the, the metatarsals and the toes are sort of bent toward the inside. So that's adductus. Varus means the hind foot is bent toward the inside. And that one's a little mm. tricky. Mm-hmm. So if you were to look at a patient with a club foot from the back, let's say mm-hmm. it's an older patient who, who his club foot wasn't properly treated, maybe someone from a third world country or something. Mm-hmm. If you look at their hind foot, which is their calcaneus or their heel bone, mm-hmm. it's bent toward the midside, the inside, almost as if they're going to walk on the outside part of their foot. Right, uh, right. So if you look at their leg and as you go down their shin or their tibia or their calf muscle, when you get to that hind foot or that heel bone, it's mm-hmm. bent toward the inside. And that's what we call varus. Okay. And, and then Aquinas, you think of Aquinas like a ballerina, someone who is up on their toes. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is the foot pointed down toward the floor. Um, mm-hmm. It really is applying more toward the hind foot. But if you think of sort of the ballerina who is up on her toes, if you mix that with the cavus, adductus, and varus, then you've got yourself a, a club foot. So cavus, adductus, varus, aquinas. If you really want to sound super cool with club foot, those are the terms you use. And then hopefully my description was somewhat usable to people, particularly if you were looking at a model or, or a picture of a club foot when you heard those things. Well, yeah, and I think we all have kind of have that picture of what our child's feet look like or foot looked like. And the way that you described it really made sense because I can picture exactly what her feet looked like when she was well, born. Important for the In people who are pictures. treating it, the, those who are treating it, you, you have to think about these deformities because you manipulate the foot in certain ways to correct each of those. And in different parts of the Ponsetti mm-hmm. technique can address different parts of the deformity. So we're thinking about all those things as we hold the foot and stretch it and put the cast on. Well, that leads perfectly into our next question which is how does the Ponsetti method achieve full correction of the foot? So you have all these different parts that you're trying to fix. And then there's the stuff in the lower limb. It's not just the feet. How does just casting and tenotomy, which we'll get to later, achieve full correction? How do you guys do that? So, well, so we take advantage of the, the pediatric tissues. Mm. So the, the, the ligaments, the tendons, the, the little bit of muscle tissue that's in the foot, and then the, the bony surfaces, which actually in the, in the baby's foot are mostly made of cartilage. Mm-hmm. Those tissues all have the ability to be uh, stretched and molded, mm. but you can't stretch them and mold them all at once. They can only mm. stretch just a little bit and then you hold that stretch and that allows those tissues to, to sort of expand. And then you come back and you get a little bit more stretch and they, and they can stretch out over time. Uh, they sort of have that ability to do that. So how do we do it? Well, as the provider, as the treating you know, surgeon or, or advanced practice provider or physical therapist, we're taking advantage of the pediatric tissues ability to do that slowly over time. And then you have to correct the foot in the, in the, in the correct, in the proper order. 
Uh -huh. uh, if you if you take steps out of order, if you try to push the foot in the wrong direction, you can get secondary deformities uh -huh. because the foot is flexible. And uh -huh. if you push it and stretch it in the wrong way, you can create something that's not a normal foot. It's it's a, it's worse than you started with. So uh -huh. you have to do things in the proper order. And and that's where the cava seductus varus aquinas comes back in, because uh -huh. not only does that acronym describe the deformities, but it also describes the order in which we tend to treat it. Mm -hmm. So you want to correct the cavus first. Mm -hmm. And if you don't have that high arch correction first and start to do the other correction, it won't work. You'll mm -hmm. end up with some secondary deformity. Or if you try to correct the Aquinas too early, which is mm -hmm. the last one, right. then you can, you can get kind of a flat foot, which is not really the, the foot you're trying to achieve. So so you do it in that order and you take advantage of the, the moldability of, of a baby's foot. Okay. So why not surgery? Well, you, you don't, you don't need it. So it, okay. those tissues, if you're gentle with them, mm -hmm. they don't scar. Mm. So if you, if you're slow to push and you put a mm -hmm. cast on and over a week, the, the tissues relax and you get a little bit more push each week, those tissues grow as you correct the foot. But if you do surgery, you cut those tissues and they heal back with scar tissue. And mm -hmm. scar tissue is not as flexible. Um, it leads to stiffness. It, it can damage the joints. And so they don't function as well. So what you want to try to do is correct these tissues so that they are normal, natural type tissues when you're done, rather than the scar tissues that you get from surgery. Now, that doesn't mean that sometimes surgery isn't necessary. There are some mm -hmm. severe feet. There are some uh, club feet that are associated with severe deformities or syndromes mm -hmm. that you just can't correct all the way with simple casting. And sometimes you need surgery to get mm -hmm. a good foot, but yeah. it's not going to be the best foot if you if you could have possibly achieved with casting. Okay. So usually you don't need it. You know, usually yeah. if you're careful in your technique, you follow the principles, uh, you're patient. Uh, and uh, you can get these corrections without having to, to go to the knife all that often. So why do you think it took so long for the medical community to get on board with the Ponsetti method? Because they were doing surgery for so long. And Dr. Ponsetti, as far as I've known from the stuff that I've read and the research that I've done was, you know, came out with this in the 1960s. And yet he didn't really start doing it until the 1990s. Yeah. So there, there are a lot of, there's a lot of reasons for that. Mm -hmm. um, uh, so there was an older method of casting that mm -hmm. somewhat predates and somewhat goes along around the same time frame as Dr. Ponsetti. And it employed some different type techniques where mm -hmm. you manipulate the foot in a slightly different order than mm -hmm. Ponsetti uh, mm -hmm. advocated. And although the, the initial um, advocate, the, the initial creator of that technique had some good results, everyone else had a tough time recreating them. Mm. So they, they, and this was well done research. These are doctors, right. these are clinicians who were doing research and, and there was a casting method out there and they were trying it and they could not get it to work. Mm. And so it became sort of known that casting doesn't work for clubfoot. Mm. And it became sort of dogma through the seventies and eighties that mm -hmm. clubfoot needs surgery to correct it. And these are not doctors doing bad things. They had good right. research. And they had some pretty good outcomes. I mean, surgically treated, treated club feet can do pretty well, mm -hmm. but there are a lot of patients who don't do as well. So mm -hmm. these are all well-meaning doctors who wanted the best for their patient. Mm -hmm. And the best science at the time 
showed that surgery was probably the best way to go mm-hmm. because the the casting method that they knew of had sort of failed. Mm. But uh, Dr. Ponsetti had really gone into the lab. He had looked at cadaveric specimens. He had really broken this thing down uh, piece by piece and created this program. The problem with Dr. Ponsetti, and I, I was unfortunate, I did not get to meet him before he mm-hmm. passed away, but the stories I've heard, mm-hmm. he wasn't the best salesman. Yeah. When when you go to these big orthopedic meetings and people get up on podiums and they say, well, this is the technique that I've learned and this is the science and this is the research. Some people are just better at marketing their their technique than, than he was. And so he kept plugging away. He knew it was right, mm-hmm. but he, uh, he just had a tough time sort of selling it to the community because they had they had sort of felt like casting just doesn't work. And then when he came out with his long-term outcomes and showed those results in the early 90s, it was, or late 80s, early 90s, it was clear that he was onto something. And, and in a course of a decade, uh, we went from about 90% of club feet in North America being treated by surgery till the end of the 90s where 90% were being treated without surgery. It was one of the greatest shifts in all of medicine, not just orthopedics uh, in, in the history of documented medicine to, to make that drastic of a change in the care. Wow. So it's phenomenal. Yeah, it's really cool. But yeah, that's the that's the history yeah. of it. Yeah. yeah. So what is the difference? We hear a lot from like as parents, we hear a lot of about the different types of clubfoot, right? So there's a typical clubfoot, there's a complex clubfoot, there's an atypical clubfoot. And then so what are the differences between those? And then how do you determine the severity of the foot? All right. So there's a little bit to unpack there as well. So yeah. Some of those terms have not been extremely well defined. Okay. So atypical, complex, I've heard people call it a malignant club foot, club foot which sounds mm. extremely scary. And sometimes you look at these feet and you do get scared because they're mm. just terribly aggressive. Mm-hmm. Let's start back with the idiopathic. Okay. So the idiopathic, the standard idiopathic club foot is one that does not seem to be associated with other conditions. Okay. Some children have diseases like arthrogryposis or spina bifida or neurological mm-hmm. or muscular diseases that make their clubfoot just more challenging. Mm-hmm. The tissues are even more abnormal in, in those, those children. So the tissues just not do not respond to the casting as well in some cases. And then there are the club feet that have some unusual characteristics in their deformity. Mm-hmm. Perhaps their cavus is more severe. Mm-hmm. So it, it involves more than just the first metatarsal. It involves all of them. Or maybe the foot is extra fat or extra short, mm. or there's a little bit more tightness to some of the tendons. So mm-hmm. there's something about it that just is a little different than mm-hmm. the sort of typical run of the mill club foot. Mm-hmm. But those exact terms, what is complex, what is atypical, mm-hmm. some of those terms are used interchangeably by those of us in the club foot community for those feet that are just quite a bit more challenging. Then how does it affect the, the treatment? Well, mm-hmm. at that point, you sort of have to get a little creative. Mm. So, you know, there is the standard protocol. You start mm-hmm. with cavus, you move toward a ductus, you go through the steps, but somewhere along the way, some of these feet just don't do what they're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. And, and then you have to start doing some slightly different modifications, maybe differences in where you place your thumbs or how you hold the feet mm-hmm. or how quickly you achieve your correction. Sometimes you even have to slow down and, and stop for a, a couple of weeks and, and let the tissue sort of sort of settle back down and then and go back into it again. And sometimes you have to do things, even, you know, I said, you got to stick with the order or bad things happen. Sometimes you have to go out of order a little bit. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Sometimes if you have one of these very severe complex deformities and you just have nothing moving and you've been casting this foot for five, six, seven weeks and you're not really getting anywhere, mm-hmm. sometimes going in ahead and doing your little tenotomy can just sort of loosen some things up to at least get the foot moving again and start mm-hmm. to get a little bit of correction. And then the last point I'd like to make about that is you often don't know that these are complex or atypical feet until you've started casting. Mm. they sometimes don't you know have a shining flashing light on them that says hey you're about to have trouble in three weeks sometimes you just start into it and then things just just sort of start to go off the rails because you have just more of a challenging condition than you were aware of so yeah we haven't fully defined that there's that's still an area of active research uh, to really understand these complex atypical feet and the best ways to treat them yeah I think as parents it's we get the, co- the term complex is kind of thrown to like if there was a miscasting. So if there was something that happened and you saw a doctor that, um, you know, and the casting didn't go as well. And then it's like, oh, the, the casting now my child has a complex foot because mm-hmm. of the casting. Mm-hmm. So I think people use that in the community. Do you think that's accurate or is that just more of a colloquialism that we've kind of added to it it may be and I think there are some of those you know secondary deformities that come from just some some maybe poorly applied cast or maybe some mm-hmm. people who just don't have a great deal of experience and we all we've all been there no, yeah. no one's perfect in club fit for sure but I think some of those feet have kind of been lumped into this complex or atypical mm-hmm. but I think that's probably appropriate because if you end up with some of these challenging deformities these some of these secondary deformities they become atypical they're no longer mm. the typical club foot they're now the atypical club foot and you have okay. to address them in another way so I think it's probably fair to lump those in mm-hmm. I, I would say that they're they're almost assuredly a very small percentage of the challenging club feet there are those out there but yeah but most of the time these feet are just difficult to begin with okay so what's the tenotomy and why is it necessary yeah. So as we talked before, and I don't really know if if I understand this, maybe Ponsetti understood this, uh, mm-hmm. but and maybe there are some others that understand it, but I do not know for sure why all of the tissues mm-hmm. respond to casting so well, except for that Achilles tendon. Mm-hmm. It just does not seem to want to come down. And maybe it's just a little bit stronger than the other tissues. Mm-hmm. So when you try to get the Achilles to stretch, it's stronger than the others. So you actually get stretching through other parts of the foot. Mm. But the problem that you run into is if you try to get that equinus correction mm. by, um, by pushing, you're going to cause a secondary deformity in a lot of cases. Mm. So the way you correct that is you have to release that tendon. Um, and if you release the tendon in the back, then that allows that final correction to take place. Um, so yeah, it's just mm. not as flexible. I think as a parent, I think that the Achilles is the only one that's super tight, right? Because that's the one we hear about. And that's the one that needs to have the tenotomy. So the really only surgical procedure is what I think of it as, not a surgery. But um, but are all the other tendons and ligaments that you're talking about, are they short and tight too, but they're able to be manipulated easier? Yes, I believe okay. that is true. It's not all of them. Mm-hmm. It's the ones on the inside part of the foot. 
So mm. as the foot sort of curves inward, mm-hmm. the tendons sort of on the outside kind of get stretched a little bit and the tendons on the inside are sort of short or we don't really know what causes a club foot. Perhaps yeah. it is those inside tendons that draw the foot up hmm. and, and, and can cause that contracture. Uh, it's, it's kind of a chicken or the egg. We really don't know what comes first, but, hmm. but sort of all of those structures there in the back and on the inside part seem to be tight. And some of the structures on the top and on the outside tend to be stretched out a little bit more. But for whatever reason, and it's still a, an active area of research, that Achilles tendon just doesn't always respond to the casting the way that you would think that it would. Hmm. And, and Dr. Ponsetti, you know, learned the way to get that correction so that you don't cause these other deformities is to do that little small procedure where you, you nick the tendon, you mm-hmm. cut it, you just cut the mm-hmm. tendon in two. Now, the, again, we use the, the pediatric uh, biology to our advantage because mm-hmm. those, those tendons can reheal right. with tendon tissue. There's a bit of scarring in there but mm-hmm. the tendon sort of grows back, but now it's longer, uh, which is what you really want to correct that Aquinas, that that uh, that hind foot tightness that we talked about. And that yeah. procedure, that procedure is done depending on the institution. Mm-hmm. Um, it can be done, you know, in the clinic. Um, mm-hmm. It can be done in like a procedure room or in an operating room. And some practitioners uh, choose to do a sedation anesthesia. Some just want to do some local numbing cream. There's a lot of variety there. Still a mm-hmm. little bit of native research. Dr. Ponsetti did it in his office. Mm-hmm. Um, just, just straight away. That's how I learned in my fellowship as well. Mm-hmm. But I know some other practitioners do it slightly different ways. But the, the, the point is to cut the tendon completely in a way that you avoid causing any damage to any of the other tissues, particularly the nerves and the blood vessels in the back of the foot. Right. And does the tenotomy, is that what allows the flexibility of the foot for it to dorsiflex up? Yeah. So by the time you get to your tenotomy, if you've done the steps correctly, mm-hmm. the rest of the foot has pretty much been stretched out. You, okay. You've got all of your correction because the Aquinas comes last. Cavus adductus varus Aquinas. It's the last mm-hmm. step in, in the most, most of these feet. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so it, it allows for that final correction, mm-hmm. but it doesn't allow the whole foot to be flexible. It, mm-hmm. it only, it's only a, associated with one part of the deformity. It, it doesn't really contribute much to all of the others. Okay. Good to know. So what's the purpose of the bracing? And then why are we bracing for so long? Yeah, so that club foot wants to be a club foot. So mm-hmm. these tissues we talked about, uh, these mm-hmm. ligaments and tendons, they can be stretched uh, into a, a good position. You can get mm-hmm. the foot into a fairly normal appearance. A treated club foot is never a normal foot. Okay. It's a nice functional foot. Uh-huh. It can be it can be made into a foot that runs and plays and jumps and doesn't cause pain. Uh-huh. But those tissues, even though they can be stretched, they have a tendency to want to go back to where uh-huh. they were. And that tendency seems to last anywhere from three to five years. Uh-huh. And you know, there's still some ongoing research about that as well. But if you correct the club foot completely and then leave it alone and do nothing else to it, a large percentage of those feet will go back into a club foot. Hmm. at least over those first few years. Mm-hmm. And is it because the tissues and the tendons are tight? Is it because the bones are growing in an abnormal way? I don't think we really know all the answers to that, but we do know left alone, the clubfoot likes to come back. Mm-hmm. And so the way we avoid that is once we get that correction, we have to maintain it. Mm-hmm. And, and the way that we've learned to maintain it from Dr. Mm-hmm. Ponsetti's teaching and, and many, many research projects since is to control that foot with a brace. 
Mm. Um, so uh, a, a full-time brace wear, essentially for about three months, taking it off just, just for bathing. Mm-hmm. And then after that three-month period, usually at that point, the child is around six to eight months of age. Well, they're entering into a development phase where they need their feet to be free. Mm. They need to roll and crawl and pull the stand and walk. And so we, uh, we move away from the full-time bracing and, and maintain that brace correction during the sleeping hours. So mm-hmm. that's why we do it, because without it, the recurrence rate is, is really high. And then the clubfoot comes back. I think it's interesting because that idea that a clubfoot wants to be a clubfoot. So how, as parents, we explain to people who don't know what clubfoot is, a lot of the time we kind of use this um, analogy of like your teeth and your braces, right? So you go through bracing on your on your teeth, you wear the braces, and then you have to wear the retainer or else your teeth will move back into, or will want to move back into where they were before you had the braces. Is it yes. that same sort of idea? It's a very similar idea. Now, I cannot tell you from a pathophysiology standpoint if the yeah. mechanism for recurrent uh, you know, teeth alignment is the same as for recurrent clubfoot, but many of the same tissues are involved. I mean, you've got bone, you've got ligaments, you know, mm-hmm. so those, those structures are, are there. So I would suspect there's a lot of the same physiology going on. But the end result is that we personify the club, but say it wants to come back. It's, it's, you know, it's not thinking for itself, but, yeah. but it, right. it's not maliciously out to get you and your child. Right. But the tendency for that deformity is for it to recur. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and we have to keep that correction that we achieve in order to prevent that problem because it's much more challenging. But when the children are older, they mm-hmm. are, they're harder to cast. Their tissues are not as responsive to casting. Mm-hmm. Uh, they can be much more opinionated during the casting process and resistant. So getting it corrected when they're early and then keeping mm-hmm. that correction is the easiest approach. Anything mm-hmm. beyond that, including repeat casting or surgery gets a lot harder. Yeah. But it happens. It happens yeah. a lot. Yeah. It's the biggest problem. It's the biggest challenge we're dealing with these days. The, the complex clubfoot, how to recognize it early and how to treat it. And then how to get that compliance. What is the best way to brace and maintain bracing compliance are probably the two areas of greatest concern in clubfoot research right now. Mm. Are there any other recommended alternatives? Like if the brace compliance is an issue, because this you hear about this a lot through the parent clubfoot community, and I'm sure you experience it too with your patients, but this idea that like, don't I have an alternative to the brace if my kid just is non-compliant with it? Yes, you do. Um, yeah. and, and, and I know that, that other clubfoot providers, uh, other clubfoot clinics would probably say the same thing. Let your provider, let your clubfoot clinic know you're having problems. Okay. The worst thing you can do is say, this isn't working and put your head in the sand and then let this thing go untreated. Hmm. We have lots of solutions. There, okay. are, there are different types of shoes. Mm-hmm. There are different, different types of bars. Uh, there, mm-hmm. are some, there are some um, new braces coming out now that are starting to gain some research that are single leg braces. Mm-hmm. Although the research is not as good on them, mm-hmm. they are probably better than nothing. Mm-hmm. So I will try pretty much anything. Mm-hmm. to to try to get compliance. We'll try a different brace. We'll try a different shoe. We'll try a different bar. We'll switch to this until we find something that works. And 
We have some very clever orthodists who work in our clinic as well. Mm-hmm. Um, simple things like a blister showing up in a weird spot. Mm-hmm. You know, a clever orthodist can alter the brace, maybe make a little cutout or put a little yeah. extra pad here or there to correct that one simple problem. And the next thing you know, you go from sleepless nights to, to happy babies. Mm-hmm. So, but your clubfoot clinic needs to know there's a problem. Yeah. And once you tell them the problem and explain, hey, this is what I think I'm dealing with, then they're going to try to find solutions because as much as you don't want your baby casted again, they don't want to cast your baby again. They would much yeah. rather maintain the correction they already have. It's just so frustrating when a patient won't come back for nine months or a year and they show back up and the clubfoot is clearly recurred or recurring. And it's something we probably could address if they just would have come back to the clinic. Mm-hmm. You know, can be a challenge. But yes, show back up. There's lots of things that can be tried. Yeah. I think that that is a great message for parents to hear because I do think that parents will feel some sort of shame or failure if they feel like, oh, this isn't going well, or I haven't worn the brace for a couple of weeks. I should probably just like give up. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, But to hear that your clinic and your clubfoot treatment team is there and going to say, Hey, let's help. Let's work together as a team to figure this out. Like, we're on your side. We want you to succeed. We want everyone to succeed. So let's, you know, troubleshoot what we can do to help. I think the shame is probably a bit of an enemy. Like you said, they, mm-hmm. they, they feel like they failed. That They don't want to admit to their surgeon or their, their mm-hmm. clinic that, that they've failed. And what they've been told for weeks is the most important part. Brace, brace, right. brace. And then, and then it hasn't worked and they feel like it's their fault uh-huh. and it's not, it's not their fault. It, it, it's uh-huh. there, there are things that can be addressed. Uh-huh. Maybe it's just a slightly typical foot. Maybe there's a little pressure spot somewhere. Maybe, maybe there needs to be a little bit more correction. Maybe there's already been some early recurrence uh-huh. and we need to do a couple of casts to get that foot flexible again. So that it goes into the brace. There's a lot of maybes, but yeah. there's no shame associated with it. You know, that's yeah. shame that have nothing to do with it. You, sh- you should come back and, and try to get some, and solutions. And I think parents need to hear too, that it it's a lot. You're asking a lot of the parents to go home with a brace and keep it on their baby for an interminate amount of time. And it's okay if you run and you should expect to run into some issues along that journey of years of bracing. So when you do reach out to the medical team and ask for help because it doesn't mean that you're failing. It means that you need help and that's okay. We're not clubfoot professionals. And that's part of what I tried to teach myself through this whole thing was like, I can learn as much as I can learn, but this is all brand new to me. So I'm trying to figure it out. And by doing things like this, the podcast and writing the book is kind of my way of going, Hey, this was a struggle. And these are the things that we struggled with. And hopefully you'll realize like those are struggles and it's okay. And to ask for help because they're here to help you. Early on in the treatment, uh, the clubfoot is, it becomes a really big part of the baby's life. You're going Mm -hmm. to the office each week. You Mm -hmm. have these cast on. It's always part of your life. Those first few weeks. Mm-hmm. But then once you get into the bracing phase, I mean, you're a parent, you have a thousand things going on, right? And the club foot is mm-hmm. like, it's like 2% of your day. Like yeah. you got to get the brace on, you got to try to keep the brace on and you got to take it off in the morning. Um, 
but you have a thousand other things to deal with. And mm-hmm. so it's really kind of hard to keep that focus over time, keep up that sort of intensity of about how important this is to maintain mm-hmm. this, this corrective. But everything you said is exactly right. It is a super challenge. And, and I, don't, I don't expect any parent to be able to do that. They got so many other things going on. Mm-hmm. I mean, you and I were talking about our kids beforehand. I mean, you've, you've got a whole house full of folks. I got a couple of kids running around here too. Mm-hmm. There's a billion things. And now you have to deal with this clubfoot too, right? Yeah. It's just one of the things. So yeah, get help. Yeah. I think that's great. I think that's a great message. So what do you think is the best part of working with Clubfoot families? Yeah, this is a kind of a hard one to answer. Um, mm-hmm. I think the most enjoyable thing about mm-hmm. working with Clubfoot families is they come in scared. You know, you, mm-hmm. you, you, you want this, you want everything to be fine, right? You want mm-hmm. 10 fingers and 10 toes and mm-hmm. everything to be great. And then you have this thing and you know, it's not, terrible and most mm-hmm. times it's, most of the time it's just a club foot you know you're not dealing with a brain disease or a heart disease or a kidney disease or something that's life-threatening but mm-hmm. it's just I don't want to deal with this right this is mm-hmm. why does this happen to my baby you know it's one mm-hmm. in a thousand and why did it have to be mine and they have all mm-hmm. these concerns and is my baby going to walk and run and play and participate in sports and you know you have all of these dreams for your kid and and now you think this club foot is going to squash them all and then and then the course of just a few weeks, you start to see them realize that this is going to be okay, right? Mm-hmm. It, this corrects pretty quickly. By six to eight weeks, we're coming out of our last cast. We're getting ready for our brace. And they're like, this looks like a foot. You know, mm-hmm. I feel like this is going to be okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know it's going to take some work. They've told me it's going to be work, but I enjoy that part of it. Mm-hmm. The part that I, I don't like is mm-hmm. what we talked about before. The families who have some challenges along the way, particularly in regards to bracing and follow-up, and then they they take that on as I'm just not a good parent, and I've I've created this problem for my child, and they take on this shame and this guilt, and I, I want to work through that. I mean, that's not what this is about. This is about giving your child a a normal, happy, functioning life with mm-hmm. a normal, healthy foot, and we're a team on this, and th- there's no role for guilt or shame in this. And so, working getting families to work through that is is kind of a frustrating part because I just don't want it to be there. It just makes it harder on them. It makes it harder on their kid. Right. Yeah, that's so, a good point. I mean, I think that that is hard because you want to be able to be there and encouraging them. And no matter how much you are encouraging them, that there are still the ones out there that do feel like they're responsible. And if something happens, that it's their responsibility. I mean, I'm not going to lie and say like, part of the reason we are so consistent and diligent with her brace is because I'm going to look back and go, I did every single thing possible to make sure that I did what, that I did my part. Right. Um, but at the end of the day, that could still mean she could still have some sort of recurrence that I don't, that no matter, even if I did everything right, but the reality is I'm probably still going to partially blame myself in that situation just because I'm a parent and I'm a mom. And even though I know logically that that's not reality, that I did do everything, there is just this part that feels like I'm responsible. And if I didn't do my job, if I would have done my job right, then it would have been okay. Yeah. And that's always going to be there. There was always mm-hmm. going to be this, there's parent guilt that the, the, I guess you should be guilty. Maybe you are guilty. Maybe you should be when you don't seek help. Hmm. If, if you know there's a problem and you don't do something about it, 
okay, well, I'll, I'll let you have a little guilt there because there was something you could have done. Yeah. Something you just can't, you can't fix them, you know, as a parent, even as a, as a provider, sometimes, sometimes you just can't fix them and you got to get creative. So yeah, seek that help. Yeah. And then, and don't carry that guilt around, mm-hmm. uh, which, is, which is easier said than done, of course. Yeah. The, the other, the other hard thing, and I know every clubfoot practice has this, in fact, has it a lot, is the patients who just don't have a lot of resources. Mm-hmm. So the, the, the single mother who may or may not have a job, may not, may or not have uh, access to uh, transportation, may not have really ac- much education. Those are super difficult uh, to, to deal with. Um, right. But that's one of the, that's why it's hard, but it's also a wonderful thing when you're also able to get a good result in that situation. Mm-hmm. You're able to work with, with your hospital or your clinic and your social services and your therapist to find creative solutions for these really under-resourced situations to then get a good outcome. Right. And, and those are those are actually very rewarding. Yeah. If, if you get a, a nice family who lives in a nice home in the suburbs mm-hmm. and mom and dad both show up to every appointment mm-hmm. and they have all the resources they need, you feel like, yeah, these are probably going to do pretty well. Yeah. Right? When the baby shows up with mom and then two weeks later, they show up because they couldn't get a ride to the last appointment and they show up with grandmother the next visit. Uh, if they're able to come at all, you like these are going to be super challenging. Mm-hmm. And getting a good result there, those those are those are rewarding. Yeah, I bet. Just talking about remor- rewarding more m- moments. I always ask everybody, do you have like a special standout moment from treating any of your clubfoot cuties? Doesn't have to be like a big thing. It's just a moment, like a memory. That stands out to you. So, um, so I just had like a, a word association, just like, what's the first thing that popped in my head? Mm-hmm. And I had about four or five babies that popped into my head one after the other. And mm-hmm. I can remember them all. I can remember what their feet look like. I can mm-hmm. remember their names. And I remember them because they were the most challenging feet mm-hmm. that the cast kept slipping off. We had to take breaks multiple times. Mm-hmm. So those are the things that pop into my head when you say that. Mm-hmm. But those are also, man, they're just so frustrating. And I, I don't want that to be, I don't want to give a negative answer to that question, but those no. super challenging ones are the ones that pop in mm-hmm. to my brain and yeah. how we got them through that and how we got their feet to the point where they're running down the soccer field or running around in gymnastics. Um, yeah, that's, that's good. But man, that was painful during the time. Yeah. If I had to put a positive answer on it, I have to have to think beyond my initial reaction one of the things I really like about Clubfoot is the community of Clubfoot providers that I've mm-hmm. sort of grown to know over my last you know, 20 years. And mm-hmm. every time I get around people who are teaching Clubfoot, instructing Clubfoot, I pick up new little tips and tricks. Mm-hmm. So although the method is very standardized for the typical right. idiopathic Clubfoot, people have their slight little tweaks on it. Mm-hmm. Maybe how they've solved a particular problem or maybe how they they hold their hand in a slight certain way to mm-hmm. get a little bit extra correction or maybe how they interact with the family. You know, maybe they put dimmer switches on their clubfoot clinics to turn down the lights or maybe they found little solutions. I love picking up those little tips and tricks. And I just, I think, and I hope that that helps me and my clubfoot clinic get better and better over time as I learn from, from all these other people who are just mm-hmm. trying to figure this out too. So that's fun. I mean, that's a very positive thing. Yeah. And I love that. I love that. I love the community aspect of Clubfoot. And uh, 
the people who are really passionate about Clubfoot, you can tell. Like there are just those people out there that really feel it. And I love to hear that they're that you're learning from each other and willing to teach each other. Like that part is such a big learning experience. And I think that's what parents are trying to do for each other too, right? Is like create this community where we can go, oh, have you tried this? This is what worked for us. Have you tried this? We, we don't we don't all have the same exact answers because we don't have the same kid and we're all through going through different things, but, you know, bouncing on an exercise ball for months to get my daughter to go to sleep may not work for another person, but Hey, it's worth trying. Right. And so this idea of coming together as a community to help each other by giving each other information, I think is something that's special within the Clubfoot community for sure. I really love the way that you're doing it as well. Uh, yourself and there, there are a number of others out there mm-hmm. who are who are providing support to families in a very positive way. Mm-hmm. Right? That, there, here are some options for you. Try this and see if it works. Mm-hmm. I have seen in in the in the world out there that there are some more aggressive spots that can be found online. There yeah. are people who are very dogmatic and and they and they they create shame in, in mothers by saying, well, if you're not doing it this way, you're not being a good mother. Right. Or if you're not seeing this particular doctor or doing this particular thing or wearing mm-hmm. this particular brace, you're doing it wrong. And mm-hmm. and that and that provo- that provokes doubt in the mother that am I doing it right? Am I even going to the right provider? Yeah. Uh, am I using the right brace? And and they and they lose some of that trust that they really need with their clubfoot program. To, mm-hmm. to get a good outcome. So the way you're doing it, I think is excellent. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we don't have all the answers, you know, yeah. and, but, but we have some options we've tried and have you tried this, give it a shot yeah. and see if it helps and see if it works. And being very positive uh, is certainly going to be much better than, than some of these other things I've heard. Yeah, I would agree with you. And I think that communication aspect is so important and it's reciprocal communication, right? So it's not this, this is what I'm telling you to do and that's what you're going to do and this is what's going to happen. It's, well, let's try these different things. I'm going to listen to what you're saying and then we're going to talk about what that looks like Um, as opposed to coming into it, like you said, with some of the things out there where they can just feel like you're, you're, you haven't even listened to what I've said. You're just coming in with your own idea of what needs to be done when the reality is, I'm just looking for lots of options, not just one. So your, your approach, it takes longer, right. To have that conversation, to pause and listen and be creative in your solutions. It takes longer, but it's Mm -hmm. so much more effective Mm -hmm. than trying to preach to someone and and make them feel bad if they're not doing things a certain way, because there's so many unanswered questions, even still in clubfoot. Because you, you say something doesn't mean it's necessarily the right answer. Yeah. Some of these little, these little problems that crop up. Yeah, I I like to think of it as um, people have questions and I have responses. I don't have answers. I have responses. So I'll respond to you, but I'm not going to tell you what the answer is because I don't know what your answer is. I know what my answer is, but that's my response. So yeah, and go out there and create a community and talk to others. And if that one particular response doesn't work in your situation, then others are out there with those solutions. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so let's and go to your providers them. too. You know, we we've seen a lot of stuff. So yeah. we've heard a lot of moms say, "Hey, I tried this; it worked great." Mm-hmm. And, and you know, there's a lot of communication that goes on, but sometimes we forget to say stuff. Or yeah. you you say, "Hey, I'm having this problem." Oh yeah, I had a mother a few years ago that had that, and this is what she did. Right. So, 
Look right. For that so reach out. Yep. I like it. So if someone's listening in your area and looking for clubfoot treatment, where would they be able to contact you and your team? Oh, all right. So, um, yeah, so uh, my team is at Labonder Children's Hospital. I work mm-hmm. with my, my practice is the Campbell Clinic in Memphis, Tennessee. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do um, our clubfoot care at the Children's Hospital, which is uh, there in Memphis. Uh, we get patients from, you know, almost to Little Rock, Nashville, St. Louis, and Jackson. All of those centers have great clubfoot programs as well. But, mm-hmm. you know, we kind of get patients from all of those areas in between. So, yeah, if uh, if you're in the area and uh, need clubfoot care, then um, the Bonner Children's Hospital is the place to look. Uh, your pediatrician knows how to access our healthcare system and they can uh, they can get you plugged in. Awesome. Come in, on, come in on Wednesday and uh, we'll uh, we'll get going. Yeah, sounds like a plan. Well, I want to thank you, Dr. Kelly, for being a guest today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, that was super fun. Thank you so much for the invite. I, I really yeah. appreciate what you're doing. I've listened to most of your podcasts since I, I learned about this opportunity, and I, I really think you're just really onto something. Uh, your book is great, and mm-hmm. I think you're doing really good work with this podcast. So, well, you know, please keep it up. I think you're you're able to help a lot of families. Well, thank you so much. I actually learned a lot in this podcast. I mean, I've done a lot of plug put research, but I learned a lot more and I think it's going to be really helpful for parents because I think sometimes when you're learning everything at once and it's hard to take it all in, but being able to kind of go back through and re-listen when you want to, I think it's going to be really beneficial. So thanks for taking the time to be here and I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. I hope you have a, uh, hope you have a wonderful rest of your evening. I want to thank Dr. Kelly for being a guest today. It was a truly a privilege to talk with you and thank you for sharing your expertise with all of us. It was insightful to learn more about the ins and the outs of clubfoot treatment and the actual diagnosis of clubfoot. As always, thanks for listening. And if you like this episode, please like subscribe and share with anyone you think would be interested. This episode, I think, was really informative for new clubfoot parents who are trying to wrap their head around what clubfoot treatment is and what their actual diagnosis of clubfoot means. If you need to get in contact with me, please do so at my website at maureenhoff.com or my Instagram at clubfootchroniclesmom. Until next time.